This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. These few verses that we have just read in Genesis are at the very heart of the Bible message. Over the next half an hour I would like to look at what they meant to Abram, who received the message in the Old Testament, how they were fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament, and how they relate to us today. What I also want to think about are three reoccurring themes we find within these verses. A new life. We've just read how Abram was told that he had to turn his back on his old life and start again in a new place. Later on in life, he even changed his, had his name changed to Abraham and his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. Trust. Abram was told that he had to trust in the Lord God and have faith in what God told him to do. And finally, blessings. If he did all this, he would receive a blessing. As we will see shortly, these three ideas reoccur throughout the Bible and still apply to us today. To explain the relevance of these promises, I'll have to do a potted history of Abraham, the nation of Israel, and approximately 6,000 years of history. If you want to fill in the gaps yourself, then you can read the books of the Bible in your own time. But I apologise for how briefly I have to go through this. So what do we know about the man Abram, who was later referred to as Abraham? Well, we know from the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 11, Abram was the son of a man called Terah, and he lived in Ur. Now, Ur was in ancient Mesopotamia, and was about 185 miles south of present-day Baghdad and 97 miles west of the Iranian border. There is very little left of Ur today, as you can see from this image from Google Maps, where the little red splodges is meant to be the centre of Ur. The area is actually better known for the Talel Ur base, sometimes referred to as Cape Adda by the US military, which you may have heard referred to during the Iraq war, which you can see at the bottom of this picture. But that is the location of Ur. But in Abram's day, it was a thriving metropolis. It was a major port on the Persian Gulf. It was well fortified with eight metre high ramparts which were about 25 metres wide and there is evidence of jewel encrusted royal tombs. The great ziggurat of Ur was discovered by Sir Leonard Woolley in the 1930s and recently they have partially restored it to give us an idea of how it would look in Abram's day. Abraham really was leaving a lot behind on the trust of God and the trust that God would keep his promise. So did God do what he said he would? The promise was, and in many ways still is, being fulfilled on many different levels. But let's start by looking at Abraham's immediate offspring. This also gives us an insight into why we have such conflict in the Middle East even today. Abram was married to Sarai, he later became Sarah, but she was not able to have children. But 
as well as her husband, Sarah believed in the promises, but she just thought that they wouldn't occur through her. So, Sarah suggested that Abram has a child with her handmaiden, Hagar, as we can read together in Genesis chapter 16. Now, this afternoon, I'm reading all my quotes from the ESV, but please, if you want to follow in your own Bible, please do. All the references are there on the screen. But Genesis chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 4. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. The son that was born was Ishmael. And a bit further down the chapter in verse 10 to 15, we read about the promises made to this particular son. Verse 10 of Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against his, all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beelahiro, it lies between Kadesh and Berad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Now traditionally the firstborn is the heir. Think about the lineage of our own royal family. But that was not what God wanted in this case. God wanted Sarah to bear Abram's heir. As we read over the page in Genesis chapter 17, start to read at verse 15. And God said to Abram, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on her face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born of a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you, 
at this time next year. So we read that Ishmael would father a great nation, but the promise about all the nations being blessed was to come through Isaac and his offspring. We'll see shortly that the Jewish nations were descendants of Isaac and the Arab nations were predominant and predominantly Islamic countries came from Ishmael. This is the root of the Middle East conflict. Both are the offspring of Abraham and both believe they are the heirs to the promise. Matters are further complicated with the reference to the land. Both believe the ancient land of Canaan, which now equates to Israel, Gaza and part of Jordan, to be their land. Hence the constant wars to try and reclaim land and hostility between Israel and her neighbours. But let's look at those promises again. God tells Abraham that the sons of Ishmael will be a great nation. If we consider the power, influence and money which the Arab countries have in the world, then we can see that they are indeed a great nation. God has kept his promise in relation to the descendants of Ishmael. But he goes on to say, but I will establish my covenant, which is another word for a promise, with Isaac. So the promise about all nations being blessed would be fulfilled through Isaac's lineage. The promise which was made to Abram was then repeated to Isaac, his son, and Isaac's son, Abram's grandson, Jacob, on the separate occasions. It was repeated to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, reading from verse 1. We read, Now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will establish all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offsprings all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abram obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. If we go over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 28, we see God then repeating these um, promises to Jacob. Start to read from verse 12 of Genesis chapter 28. And he, Jacob, dreamt, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Just as Abraham was renamed from Abram, so Jacob was renamed. We read of this in Genesis chapter 25, if you want to look at it in your own time. But Jacob was renamed Israel. He had 12 sons who moved into Egypt and lived there for several generations. The Hebrews, or children of Israel, or tribes of Israel, as they are sometimes referred to, effectively became slaves to the pharaohs of Egypt and lived in a ghetto. At this point, it looked like God had forgotten his promise, but he hadn't. In Exodus, we read how God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, and we can read about this in Exodus chapter 3. We pick it up from verse 7. We read, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the plain of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. So we can see that God hadn't forgotten his promise at all. Let's also remember those three key points that we mentioned at the beginning of our talk. Again, the children of Israel were being asked to leave what they knew behind them and set off for a new life in a new land. They had to trust in God and also Moses to deliver on this promise and again they were offered a blessing, in this case a new land. However, the children of Israel failed incredibly quickly. Three days after they'd escaped from the Egyptians, they began complaining about the lack of food. If we just turn over to Exodus chapter 16, we read there from verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that you had died that would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Now the expression bread of heaven is an expression Jesus repeats when referring to himself, but we'll come to that later on. Even with this miraculous supply of food, Israel was still not happy. When they thought that Moses had abandoned them, when he was receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, they decided to build an idol 
like their neighbours and worship that. You can read the account for yourself in Exodus chapter 32. At this point, Israel were not looking forward to their new life and the blessings that God had promised them, but back to their old life in Egypt. Their trust in God was waning. Eventually, they did make it to the land and then flip-flopped from following God to doing their own thing. There was a glimmer of hope that they may truly represent God when they appointed King David as their leader. He really was a man of God. The people seemed to respond to him, as we can read in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and the first five verses. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. After King David and his son Solomon completed their reigns, the nation divided into two countries of Israel and Judah. And what followed, for the most part, was a tawdry 300 years or so of rebellious kings and misbehaviour, until both nations were captured by the Assyrians and Babylonians, who ironically were from the same area where Abraham came from. So things had gone full circle and they found themselves literally back where we started our, this story. Israel's rebellion and wanting to do their own thing is not unsurprising, as people doing their own thing is a very human trait. Adam and Eve did it, and today we, and most of the people in the world, do it. We are very good at thinking that we are so clever that we can just do things on our own terms. Israel was no exception. But God hadn't forgotten his promise. We now move forwards about 400 years and Israel are back in the land but effectively under martial law by the Romans. If the people of Israel had failed to live up to being that living embodiment of how God wanted his people to be, then surely his son Jesus would be. Well, you would hope so, but that wasn't a given. God chose to have his son via a human, Mary. We know the story and we've heard a lot about it this last week, but this made Jesus unique. He was the son of God, but also the son of man. Now, we have already seen that man tends to want to do his own thing, so if Jesus gave into his human side, he could have sinned and gone against his father. But he didn't. He was that perfect example. Just turn over please to Hebrews chapter 1. This helps to clear up the, the nature of, of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1 and the first four verses we read these, 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 um, these words. 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by word of, sorry, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The King James Version of the Bible translates exact imprint as express image, and the Greek word used is the word character. It actually means an engraver or an engraving, i.e. an exact copy. The analogy sometimes used is when coins are minted, which is what's on the picture there. The dye used produces an exact copy in the metal that is stamped. So a die-cast mould makes a perfect impression of something, and that is exactly what Jesus is. Not God himself, but a perfect representation of what God wanted. Jesus was the perfect example. However, man was not happy and didn't want to hear what he had to say. The Jews were particularly unhappy, for as far as they were concerned, they were his chosen people, and the promises made to Abraham were going to be fulfilled through him. And they did not recognise that Jesus was an integral part of the promises. As a result, they crucified him, as we can read together in John chapter 19 and verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. So what was Jesus teaching that made everyone so upset? In a nutshell, he was proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. The major difference was this was not going to be restricted to just one nation, the direct descendants of Abraham, but all nations. This is what God meant all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. All nations, everyone, Jew or Gentile. Gentile simply means not Jewish. All nations could be blessed. To have a hope of sharing in this kingdom, Jesus' teaching were very simple and follow a theme we have seen already. We are to turn our backs on our old lives, just as Abraham did when he left Ur, just as the children of Israel did when they left Egypt, and start a new life trying to do God's will. We have to trust in God or have faith in God that he will fulfil these promises and then we too can share in the blessings of eternal life in God's kingdom here on earth. I mentioned before that the Jews are referred to as Hebrews and the word literally means to cross over or to pass through. Abraham crossed over the river Euphrates on his way to his new home. The children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea and the River Jordan on their way to the Promised Land. And in a similar fashion, we are told to go through the waters of baptism as a symbolic way of showing that our sins are washed away. 
This is what Jesus commanded his disciples to do, as we read in Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16, where he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Just returning to our narrative then, we left Jesus being crucified. So what happened next? The only reason we die is because we sin, or in other words, we don't do what God wants us to do. Jesus, even though he could sin, didn't, and so he didn't remain dead, and was raised back to life, as we read again in Mark chapter 16, a bit earlier on in the chapter, from verse 5 onwards. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you shall see him, just as he told you. When we read the book of Acts, we, na- we read how he, ascends to, he, he ascended to heaven, where he is now waiting to return, when his father sees fit to set up his kingdom. We are also told that if we die before he has returned, when he does come back, just like him, we will be raised like he was, to find out if we have a place in his kingdom. The decision whether to follow Jesus and dedicate your life to his father is really up to you. But to finish, I'd just like to read a couple of verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he shows how, he can, how we can all become heirs of Abraham and share in the promise if we choose. Galatians 3, starting to read from verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Music